given us your word, your truth. Thank you that you have given us the truth as it is in Jesus Christ. And we thank you that this is not just uh, a beautiful teaching, an idea brought down by someone long ago and far away that we might hope to try to adapt to our own lives in the best way that we can, but that your word is alive and that it lives today that you still speak to us day by day as your spirit makes these words come alive to us. God, we pray that you would give us that grace today, that as we have your word open in front of us, as we think about it and talk about it and listen to it, that these would not be just empty signals, like a language that we cannot understand, striking our ears and falling off useless. We pray instead that your spirit would make the word come alive in our hearts in our minds, and transform us to be more like Jesus Christ, the perfect image of humanity. We pray that you would do this for us today so that we could give you the glory that you deserve. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I had a call from a good friend uh, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, he called me because he was very upset. He was really discouraged and frustrated about some things that were happening in his life. And he just wanted somebody to talk to. And so we, uh, we talked. We talked for a long time. And the thing that was really troubling my friend, my friend is a believer, was uh, many years ago, he, uh, for a long portion of his life in the past, uh, he really had all kinds of terrible things that were going on, just doing all kinds of terrible stuff. And, and uh, those, those memories and those realities stayed with him. He's continued to be troubled by those. And uh, he told me that he was just so frustrated that he couldn't completely put those things out of his mind. He was so troubled and so discouraged that he wasn't able to just read the Bible and pray and be happy all the time, that there were constantly these temptations coming to him and these, these you know, terrible thoughts would from time to time just spring up in his mind unbidden and, and he just felt ground down by it. Felt like he knew the kind of life that he wanted to live, and he wasn't that kind of person, and that was terribly, terribly discouraging to him. Uh, maybe you've had that same experience, or something like it. Maybe you've felt discouraged because uh, these songs that we've sung this morning, or the scriptures that we've read this morning, uh, create a picture of a certain kind of internal life, a certain kind of way of thinking and a certain kind of way of living. And there may have been times in your life, or maybe it's this way for you right now, where you feel like that's not the way you are, 
and you're so frustrated by that. You're so discouraged by that. You feel like you've done everything you can. You did all the stuff you were supposed to do, and there's, there's no way out of that. Things are dark on the inside for you. Um, I want us to look at the scriptures in Paul's letter to the Ephesians this morning to try to answer the question of why that's the case and what God says to us about that. Because, essentially, everything that we have read and sung today is true. That's all right. That is the way that things should be. But we can definitely become very removed from that. So I want us to start, we're going to start here in Ephesians 2, in just the very first part of the chapter. And we're going to jump in into the middle of Paul's thought a little bit, but frankly that is unavoidable anytime you read anything by the Apostle Paul, unless you start at verse 1 of chapter 1, you are jumping into the middle of his thought because the guy just doesn't break things up into sections. Uh, so that's okay. Uh, we'll, we'll get the key part here anyway. But uh, chapter 2, of uh, the first verse of chapter 2 says, And you, and here he's speaking to just the people living in, the, in Ephesus, the, the people who made up the church. He says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We'll stop there. One of the... the the basic reason, let me say that, the basic reason why we may feel very discouraged about these things, like my friend was, is that we have some insight. We have some insight into just how terrible and destructive things can be for people. Just how awful things can get. The apostle here <coughs> characterizes all the people in the church at Ephesus before their encounter with Jesus Christ, their natural state, their resting state as human beings, in verse 1 he says, you were dead. You were dead in the trespasses and sins that you used to walk in. Trespasses and sins are basically two ideas, for two words for the same idea. But there, there are these actions that were characteristic of your life, he says, and those things made you dead. And in fact, what was happening there was that you were following along under the influence of someone else. This wasn't all coming from you. But all of you, all of us, Paul says, because he says that uh, down in the next verse, all of us were under the influence of the enemy of God. The spirit, he says, of course he's talking about the devil here, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, and that sons of disobedience is kind of a kind of a, uh, a Hebraic word picture that gives us the idea of people characterized by rebellion against God. It's the same thing that he says later. He says, we lived in this way. We all were just committed to doing 
whatever impulses came to us, whether those were physical, this is not just some kind of a like degraded physical people. He says these impulses came to our minds, the desires of our minds. What did we want? We wanted to get something. We wanted to control something. We wanted to consume something. We wanted to have power over people. And he said everyone was going in that way. And all these people, all of mankind, he says in verse 3, were just by nature children of wrath. Same kind of picture. People who are characterized by provoking the anger of God. This is a very dark picture. There's actually something, there's actually a kind of a, uh, a, uh, an illustration of this uh, that I think is, is really helpful that comes surprisingly to us from popular culture. But this illustration, I think, helps to capture the miserable, terrible, hopeless position that the Apostle Paul is portraying here And that is the picture that we're all familiar with from movies or TV or video games or whatever of the zombie. Look at how the Apostle Paul puts this. He says in verse 1, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So here's a picture of people who are living. They're like doing things. It's It's the picture of the person walking, right? But their life is completely just death that's all that there is it's the dead walking and the only thing that they can do the only capacity that they have to to exercise some ability is just to destroy things is to break things is to harm things they're either destroying themselves or they're destroying things around them and probably in most cases both and this is something that is not natural. Like, if, you, if you've ever watched a zombie movie, it's not like, well, of course, the world's just naturally full of zombies. There's always some explanation for it, right? That's like the evil experiments or the alien, you know, whatever it is. And it's the same kind of thing here in this passage because, look, the Apostle Paul says, here we all are as human beings, deeply corrupted. We're still out there doing things, but all we do is destroy it's like a a horror movie come to reality and what is the cause of all this it's that everyone is hopelessly infected with the virus of satan's rebellion that's how we start the scriptures right it's like page two paul says that's that's what things are like for the natural person that is uh that's, a, that's quite a bleak picture. And because that's our background, this is the background that the Apostle Paul is speaking of here for the whole church at Ephesus. Because that's where we're coming from. While we are here on this earth, there's an element of that that is always with us. We're going to see that as we get farther down into this passage. And when, like with my friend, our attention is resting on those dark realities, that destructive urge, that that legacy of hatred and death, things can look very, very dark for us. 
Because there's no zombie movie that I've ever heard of, not that I'm like an expert on zombie movies, in which the zombies fix their own problems. Right? Like you don't watch a zombie movie where it's zombies and then we come back like 100 years later and the zombies are like setting up universities and, you know, like building hospitals and it's like a beautiful flourishing zombie culture. That doesn't happen. And so to that extent, I think we have really a good picture of what the Apostle Paul is saying. It is hopeless. The picture is hopeless. And that's what makes what God says to that so remarkable. Because what I want us to try to grasp from the scriptures today is this. That God loves you in Jesus Christ. This is God's response to this reality. His response is that God loves you. Nobody loves zombies. They're dangerous and they are gross and they are hopeless. And that's what I think helps to elevate this reality for us. Because zombies are not bad enough to capture what we are naturally. Completely, completely beyond. But God loves us. God loves you. Look at the next verse. He says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins. All this stuff that we read were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Now we'll stop there. Because this is, re- this is really the heart, this is the key that I want us to, to rest our minds on this morning. God's answer to our sinfulness is not our love for him. God's answer to our sinfulness is not our being great and doing better and improving ourselves. God's answer to our sin is his love for us. And this starts off right here in this passage where he says, but God, here we are in this terrible situation we're, we're, we're dead, but we're still running rampant and breaking everything. And he says, but God made us alive. And why did he do that? Because of his great love. There's a little glimpse here of God's love. And I want us to skip a few verses down to chapter 3, where that... Love is portrayed in just a little bit more detail. Here's the Apostle Paul in chapter 3. He says God's love is great. But, okay, but wh- I mean, what are we really talking about? What, what does it mean that God loves us? Because we know what it is to love things, right? We love things. We love people. People love us. We're familiar with love. But what we have to get here is that we're not really familiar with love. That God's love for us is something quite beyond that. The Apostle Paul, 
has a, a prayer here that he's praying for his friends at Ephesus. In chapter 3, verse 14, he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend or to understand. I want you to understand this thing. To understand with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. If we imagine someone looking at a huge raving horde of zombies and saying, no, I love these people. Well, that's, that's a little glimpse. But here's a further glimpse of God's love. It is something that Paul says, I'm just going to pray for you guys that you would have enough strength in your hearts to try to really understand the incredible dimensions, the, the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. You just try, I'm praying that God would help you to try to wrap your head around how massive the love of Christ is. And then, of course, that's really important for him to pray that because he says, which actually surpasses knowledge, so no. I'm praying that God would help you to understand how much he loves you because you can't understand how much he loves you. That's what the love of Christ is. So if we, if we want to start by saying, here's all this darkness that we see in ourselves, that we, that we correctly see in ourselves, even if we're separated from that darkness, like my friend is, by many years, we're still troubled by it. We're still living in this world. And God says, yeah, but look, here's what I need you to understand. It's that I did what I did for you because I love you. And we say, okay, I know what that's like. Like, like I love people. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love my dog. You know, I kind of get that. And what the Apostle Paul is saying is wrong. You don't get it. Because God's love for us in Jesus Christ is incomprehensibly huge. So think about it this way. When my kids were small, maybe your children did this too if you have kids, when my kids were really small, they, they, each of them went through this little phase where they would uh, come say to my wife, Mommy, I love you. And she would say, I love you too. And then the kids would always say, I love you more. And then there would be this like love war. Like, no, I love you more. Well, I love you seven. Well, I love you 15. You know, it's like this really cute thing. Maybe you've had this experience with your kids. And I, I think it's kind of, it's interesting to reflect on because you know, like, you, I'm the adult. My kid says that they love me, and they're like, oh, but I love you more. And, and you can see sometimes the kids are serious. Like, no, I super love, I love you way more. Because remember, you did not let me have ice cream, but I would have let you have ice cream, so <laughs> QED. Um, and it's, it's like, it's cute, it's funny, and part of what makes it cute and funny is that as the adult, you know that your three-year-old doesn't actually really understand what they mean right? Like they say, I love you. And they're telling the truth. They really do love you. But they love you like a three-year-old, you know? 
three-year-old love is not out there like transforming the world it, because it's just for three-year-olds. <laughs> it's, it's like your dog. Your dog loves you. That's great. And your dog loves you maybe in some ways more than your three-year-old loves you. But it's still just the love of a dog. And like that's great. But it's not the same thing as what you're doing when you say to your kid, I love you, and you're like out there slaving away day after day or whatever, and the kid is like, hey, mom, I poured macaroni and cheese into the computer. Is that okay? Um, like it's a different thing. It's a different thing. But we can, kind, we, can, we can get some sense of that because we remember what, what it was like to be a kid, a little bit. And so we're like, yeah, this is great. Like we're all, we love each other as a family. This is the way things should be. What the Apostle Paul is saying is that God's love for us is not like that, sta- like that stepwise scale, right? It's like, here's my kid loves me, and then like, but I love my kid up here, and it's not like, but God loves us up here. It's like, well, if we took the roof off and we had high-powered telescopes, we could look up there and we could see the leading edge of God's love for you. And that's as far as we can do, actually. That's what it's like. That's why Paul prays that we'd be able to understand it, because God's love for you and for me is incomprehensibly huge. God's love for us does not happen in this natural way that a parent loves a child and a child loves a parent. You know, God's built this into human nature, which is a wonderful thing. That there's this immediate bond of affection that springs up between family members. Um, But God's love for us is not like that. I want to just read for you briefly a a short uh, few verses from Romans chapter 5. In Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 6, He says, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. And notice that we are not righteous or good. That's Paul's point. He says, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 10, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. So God's love for us, when it says, like, yes, we were really in this terrible position, but God, because of his love, rescued us. That love is massive, and that love is out of order in the sense that we would expect it, right? It's not like, of course, you know, like, I'm friends with God. I, made, I met God at work, and we, like, really hit it off, and, and that now we're super good friends. That's natural love. Here is unnatural love. We're raging against God. We're fighting against God. We're we're trying to push God out of the way so that we can be God, so that we can take responsibility and control over everything that we want in our lives. And I can say, this is my choice. This is my life. This is my, I mean, yeah, I can see that my clock is running down, but as long as I'm on this stage, it is going to be my game, my rules. And if it doesn't work that way, I'm happy to just spoil the game for everybody else. Because you're not going to tell me what to do. That's 
That's the situation that we were in when God came to us to love us. <clears throat> and it's actually even more dramatic than that because if you just glance back, we're back in Ephesians here. If you just glance back at Ephesians 1, verses 4 and 5, it says that God chose us in him. That's Jesus. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. This adds even one more layer to that. Because what that means is that God, and of course we know, we have this kind of like understanding that, yeah, God is beyond time, right? He's not doing the time thing the way that we are. God not only comes to us when we're really in a bad state and he says, listen, you are an awful mess and I know you hate me, but I love you and I'm going to help you. God actually does that way back at the beginning before anything even happens. And that means that for God, there is no dynamic like this because maybe you've experienced this dynamic, right? I love this person and this person loves me and we're really good friends, but then this person does something to hurt me and they hurt me and our relationship is shattered and when I look at them I think I can never love them again and we just go our separate ways at the end. There's no dynamic like that for God because God loved you before the foundation of the world when he saw not only all the trouble and all the wickedness and all the darkness in your heart before you knew him but even the things that you and I would do after we had received so much goodness from God. The terrible ways that we would not be grateful to God, that we would not be faithful to God. He saw that because he saw all things before the foundation of the world. And in that situation, in love, he predestined us to adoption as his sons. So God's Love for us is great, but it is in fact unimaginably great. And it is a love that is out of time, out of place for us. It's before and beyond all the wrong that we do to God. That's what God's love is like. And so it's no surprise when we get a sense of that, that God's love is what the Apostle Paul will go on to say. It is world-altering. Let's read, I stopped in the middle, but let's read the rest of the paragraph here. Come back to Ephesians 2 in verse 4. So here's like, we're really in a bad way. He says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not your own doing, but it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Right? What God does in his love is fundamentally alter the nature of reality. That's the scope of God's love. Like if I love my kids 
I might work really hard and I might change this situation around me. I might treat my kids in a certain way. I might work to get certain things for them. I might try to protect them in certain ways. But I'm, you know, I can't, frankly, I can't do that much. God's love for us changed creation. It is because of God's love for us that he accepted suffering and humiliation and death in the person of Jesus Christ to resolve the impossible demands of his own just and fair law. When it says that he uh, predestined us for the adoption as sons, what he is talking about is the reordering of all society, not human society. I mean, sure, all of human society is going to be reordered and is being reordered, but it actually is all society, all relationships between humans and God and angels fundamentally changed because of God's love for you. That's what God's love is like. World-altering. God loves us not because of our own loveliness, not because we're so great. We started this picture out as zombies. That's a pretty accurate picture. God doesn't love us because he really likes the zombies. We, we were unlovable. God loves us, but he also doesn't love us in just kind of like a general way. And I think that's really important for us to, to stop and grab. It's not maybe our key point for today. There's way too much that we could say about this. But I want us to grab it for a minute. It's not just that God is a person that like loves everybody all the time, and so his love catches us up. God loves us in Jesus. So he does not love and forgive everyone kind of like automatically. That's the point I want us to grab. God loves us in Jesus. It was the love of God that prompted the Father to send the Son out to suffer and die so that our sins could be rightly forgiven. And that's that's the door. That is the avenue of God's love for us. It is in Jesus. That's why the Apostle Paul says, here, we just read these verses, right? Verse 5 he says he made him he made us alive together with Christ he raised us up to heaven with him he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus god's love for us is overwhelming it is immense All of it comes to us through this channel. Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And that that makes this really distinctive and important for us. Because there might be people here today who are, are interested in hearing about these things, but for you you're counting on the fact that God love, God's love kind of comes to everyone. You just, you just sort of notice it. If you notice it, then great, you're all set. 
And if you don't notice it, that's unfortunate, but it will catch you up anyway and sweep you along in its path. That is not what God says to us. God says to us that our problems are so massive that the only way that his love could reach us was for him to die on our behalf. And that at the same time, the unique responsibility that God placed on each of us, the unique capacity that God puts into human beings is such that we cannot merely notice the love of God sweeping over us. We must respond to it. God did not make us like ants or like asteroids to just passively receive the things that come to us. He gave us the responsibility to respond to him. And in this way, it is not like the love that you have for your plants, which maybe you love your plants. Like, I, sure, that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. Plants are cool. But that's not really a relationship, is it? God's love for us is a relationship in that we must respond to his overtures. So we cannot say to God, listen, God, I really appreciate everything you've done for me. I'm going off in this other direction, but Jesus, cool. That is not a possibility because in that there is no relationship. God's purpose was to reconcile us to himself. And that word reconcile means that there's a relationship, right? It's like you had a fight with this person and then you weren't going to talk ever again and then you got brought back together. That happens only through Jesus Christ. It is only when we say to God, God, I need your love and I accept Christ. I hold on to Christ. I reach for Jesus Christ. I am glad to have Jesus Christ be the person that brings me up to you. It is only in that way and in not any other way that we can receive all of the greatness of the love of Christ. Now, how can we live this way? Let's, let's turn back for a second to uh, the passage that I read before in, in Ephesians 3. The prayer that Paul prays. Let's read that again. Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And then in your Bible, there might be a little dash there. Or maybe there's a little, like a colon there. Do you see There's a mark there that shows that he's going to explain what he means. He wants Christ to dwell in these people's hearts through faith. And here's what I mean, Paul says, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, not just you guys in Ephesus, but us here too today, to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Let's reflect on that for a few minutes. Who is Paul praying for? 
he is praying for believers, right? Like his friends at the church at Ephesus and all the saints. Like that's Christian people. So Paul's not praying for people. Like he's not saying, I'm going to go out and do this evangelism and I'm praying for these people that I've never met that they would be, that, that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith, right? When he says, I pray that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, he's talking about Christians. What does that mean? This is exactly how we started here today. It is possible for us to be in Christ, to accept him by faith, to be truly alive in him, but because of where our focus is and where our attention is, because perhaps of the way we live our lives, in our hearts, Christ has a small place. The way that we think as we go about our lives day by day, there's a small place for Jesus Christ. Most of our thoughts and most of our reactions and most of the things that we say and do don't come from Jesus Christ. They come from somewhere else, from that zombie place that we left. Paul says, I don't want anybody to live like that at all. I am praying that Christ would live in your hearts through faith. And so he has these two pictures, right? He says that we would be rooted and grounded in love. That word rooted, obviously, is a picture that comes to us from like gardening, right? Got this tree, you got to plant it in a good place because if you plant it in the wrong place, it's not going to grow well or maybe it'll mess up your sidewalk or something, right? It's got to be rooted well. It's got to dig down its roots deep and hold on and be nourished. And this second word that's translated here, grounded, is uh, maybe better put like established. It's a picture from from architecture where you've got a, a solid foundation for something. Founded in love. This is a base from which we can build. Paul says, I'm praying for you. And he says, Paul says that he is praying for you, Christian, this morning. Right? This is the word of God to you. The apostle Paul, now in heaven, prays this for you, whoever you are. That you would be rooted and grounded in love. And that God's love would grow in your mind. It's, it's kind of like this. The truth of God's love starts outside of us. And when we come to believe the good news of, of Christ's sacrifice for us, and when we repent of our sins, the doors of our heart are thrown open for the first time. But all of God's love to us in Christ doesn't come rushing in in a moment. And maybe that will happen when we first step into the presence of God. But while we're here, it's not like that. The overwhelming majority of Christ's love is still outside. And so what Paul is praying is that the love wouldn't stay outside, but that more and more the love of Christ for us would come inside of us and would transform us, transform the way we think and the way that we feel, the way we respond emotionally, and the way that we, we tend to act. 
this is not a prayer that we would love Christ more, right? We, I think that's a more common prayer. In our minds, that's not what Paul is praying. He's not praying, I pray that you would love Christ more. He is praying that we would understand more about Christ's love for us. So, how can we pursue this prayer? How can we, how can we pursue the prayer that comes down to us from 2,000 years ago? God says, I am recording this prayer for you. That Christ would live in your hearts through faith as you are more rooted and grounded in my love for you. How can we pursue this? I want to give us just four suggestions. The first one is, I think, the simplest one, maybe the most obvious one, but it's also one that's easy to forget, and that is meditation on Christ's love. We've got to think about this stuff. We've got to think about this stuff. We've got to get this stuff in front of our eyes. We've got to put it into our ears. We need to have it running in our minds. Something is always running in your mind, and, and the, in the age that we live in, we, we're so used to being overwhelmed by inputs that it's possible, it's quite easy for us to just be unaware of what's running in our minds. We're just in this sea of inputs, and so we've just got one or two things like, I'm going to drive to the grocery store, and we're not thinking about the ads that are coming to us and the people that are around us and what's on the radio and our phone is dinging and all these, there's just it's this tidal wave. We need to carve out a space that we can continually place the love of Christ for us into. And one of the simplest ways, one of the oldest and best ways to do this is to have a piece of God's word always in your mind. To just, to just memorize a little bit. Maybe you're thinking, well, I'm not really sure how to do that. Well, how about this paragraph? It's a, this is a good one. It's right here in your Bible. Start in verse 14. Go through verse 21. And all you have to do, because this is what we did. We were, we were part of a ministry that did this. We joined, and I was like, this is great. This is the easiest thing ever. Every single time we met together to open the Bible, so you could do this when you read your Bible, or maybe you read with your family, just, just read, everybody read this paragraph out loud together. And, and when you read it out loud together, do that five times. Do it every day or do it five times a week. Give yourself two months. That's, that is going to take up a lot of headspace. And that's great. That's what you want. If you already know this passage, here's another really good one for meditating on the love of Christ to you. John 3, verses 16 to 20. This is when John's uh, recording Jesus' meeting with Nicodemus. There's a, there's a great one, 16, 16 to 21. I don't know if I said 16 to 20. Maybe Romans 5, verses 6 to 11. These are just some little thoughts that we can grab in passing, bigger than just a sentence because sentences can feel so light and floaty, right? They're disconnected to everything. But here are some little thoughts that you can grab and just put into your head so that when your, your, your inner monologue is quiet, what, what starts to echo around in there is the truth of Christ's love. 
Second, after meditation on Christ's love, uh, I think one way that we could pursue this is to pray about Christ's love. It's significant, I think, that this comes to us in a prayer. Do we pray, because we could, that God would help us to understand how much he loves us? That's a great thing to pray, like, all the time. Um, again, I think it, maybe, it's, maybe it's more common for us, maybe it's more instinctive for us to pray that God would help us to love him more. And that's, that's a fine prayer. But do we pray that God would help us to understand how much he loves us? Do we pray that for other people? Talking to God about his great love for us should be a part of the basic weave of our prayers to him. Because this, this has to transform our minds, as he says here. Third thing, this is related to this, not just talking to God about his love for us in Jesus Christ, but talking about Christ's love to ourselves, maybe, when there are serious things that challenge us, when we're troubled by memories of the past, or when we're tempted by this or that, talking to us about, talking to ourselves, I mean, about Christ's love for us is foundational. It's just across the page in uh, a little bit farther in Ephesians, where he's going to say, uh, Paul is going to say that we should, when we are attacked by flaming arrows that come from Satan, we should take the shield of faith to defend ourselves, right? The shield of faith in what? Well, if those flaming arrows are arrows in the nature of what my friend was dealing with, like, how can God really love you? You are really trash. Just think of the things that you did. How can you still have these thoughts in your head? How about grab that shield and have faith that God's love for you is unimaginably great and watch those flames flicker out on that shield. We got to talk to one another this way. It's not just enough for us to talk to ourselves. We got to reach out to one another. All around you, brother and sister, wherever you are sitting in this room, all around you are people who have big problems. Everybody is struggling. Everybody is dealing with something. Everybody has a friend or a family member who is in deep trouble or a relationship that is coming apart or a frustration that just goes on and on. We have to bring the, the immeasurable love of Jesus Christ to one another all the time. Reach out with that encouragement. Bring it into the face of that trouble. Take your friend and pray with them about that trouble in the light of Christ's love. This is something that we can do for each other. We don't have time to explore that more, but to start anyway. And the last thing that I want to mention that we could do to pursue this prayer is to mirror Christ's love as we interact with other people. Christ's love comes to us as this great world-changing thing. And one of the ways that we can grow in our appreciation of Christ's love for us is to do that toward other people. Listen <coughs> to what the apostle says over in 2 Corinthians 5. He's talking about how he and the other apostles worked really hard to bring the good news of Christ's salvation to people who had never heard it. And he says this. He says, we did this because the love of Christ 
controls us. He says, we concluded that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him for whose sake died, uh, sorry, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And all of this, he says a little farther, all of this is from God. That is in Christ Jesus, God was reconciling the world to himself. That's why we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. If we want to really grasp the greatness of God's love for us in Christ, one way of doing that is to look for opportunities to show that barrier-crushing love to other people. I have another friend. I had a conversation with a friend this week. She's American, and you uh, probably know that this coming week in the estates is Thanksgiving, so there's a lot going on. My friend was really, uh, really, really upset because uh, her sister um, has, uh, was, you know, uh, claimed to be a Christian for many years and has recently embraced a completely anti-Christian lifestyle, has renounced the faith. She's, she's against all of it. And uh, so she's distressed by that. She's distressed by her sister. And her, my friend's parents... Uh, who are also believers, were furious about what their daughter did and said that she and her girlfriend were not allowed to come for Thanksgiving and they, they never wanted to talk to her again. And so my friend is caught between these two miserable situations. How can she love her parents and reach out to them with the love of Christ, which they really need, And how can she love her sister and reach out to her with the love of Christ, which she really needs? The things that transform our relationships come from the love of Christ. It is not enforcing the justice of God that transforms relationships. You leave that to God, he will do that. It is reaching out with the love of Christ. And saying to someone, yeah, well, this is really going to be awkward and difficult. But look, Jesus Christ loves you. So, 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 so will I. I'm, going to, I'm really going to try anyway. I'm going to pray about that as we do it. In this way, the love of Christ can become more real to us, more clear to us. It's through mirroring Christ's love and talking about Christ's love and praying about and reflecting on Christ's love that those those very narrow, tiny little doors in our heart get wider and wider and wider and the transformation can occur more and more to the point where we can say, it doesn't matter what bad things my heart and my conscience and the devil accuse me of. Sure, those are all true. This is what Martin Luther famously said. But Christ died for me because he loves me. Not because he had to and he's sort of like grumbling on his way. Okay, I guess Dave. It's that he loves me and he loves you. And in that, in that truth, God wants us to be grounded, rooted, and live day by day. Let's pray.